please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out, the Inner Revolution with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic Paris, Rome, and Iowa? The link is John Davis, who shares about the climate and our future. A recent UN poll shows that 90% of the world's citizens want governments to lead us towards zero emissions to combat climate change. That's rich, poor, everybody. The UN Conference on Climate is happening this December, and the future is in their hands. With so much at stake, people everywhere are mobilizing to get governments to act. On June 18th, the Pope issued an an encyclical saying that human-made climate change is fact. By the way, the Pope is a trained scientist. He has a degree in chemistry. And that confronting it is a moral imperative. Yet in our own nation, the chairman of the Senate Environment Committee, Inhofe, a Republican from Oklahoma, says climate change is a hoax or doesn't matter. So, Paris, the climate conference in December. Italy, the Pope. And Iowa? That's where John Davis comes in. Yay, John, John Davis. Organizer. He's an organizer for the Climate Reality Project in Iowa. And he's a grandfather who cares. He can help us understand the Pope's encyclical on dealing with climate change. And he can share with us what we can do to get our government to listen and act. So stay tuned. Call in. And now here's Beth from the Inside Out. Hi there. Welcome, everybody, to Inside Out. Oh, I've been looking forward to the show so much because we don't always have good news. Not that the climate is good news, but at least the awakening around the climate is good news. But first, as you know, we always talk about the advances in the inner revolution, some of the news, and I rushed through it because there's so much going on. So there was so much going on last time that I'm telling you some of the things from last week that I didn't tell you before. Well, the first thing, obviously, the big thing in the news was June 18th and the Pope and the encyclical. And he said, you know, we need to confront humanity's reckless behavior that has pushed the planet to a perilous breaking point. And he left little doubt about who is to blame. Big businesses, energy companies, short-sighted politicians, scurrilous scientists, laissez-faire economists, indifferent individuals, callous Christians, and myopic media professionals. And that is fantastic, and we're going to hear a lot more about that from our guest, uh, John Davis, who's going to come in. And he has actually read the encyclical, I think he said five times. But one of the cool things is that Francis calls for a drastic change in lifestyle production and consumption from unsustainable habits to more mindful means of caring for our common home. And he talks about structural injustice and that nothing short of a bold cultural revolution could save humanity from spiraling into self-destruction. And so isn't that cool? This is not the first time that the Pope has been calling for revolution. If you check our Facebook page, we put out uh, a great story about him saying that uh, 
The only way to be a true Christian today is to be a revolutionary. Now, the next piece of interesting news, and this was dated June 11th. Okay, we're a little behind. So this was on Vox.com. But it was why Iranian women are posting pictures of their uncovered hair. This is obviously all about inner revolution, right? That we need to take a look at ourselves and change the way we're treating our climate. But here we have Iranian women who are standing up to a very rigid patriarchal society. And here's the deal here, very fast. Iranian law requires women and girls over the age of seven to wear a headscarf called a hijab, which covers their hair, ears, and neck whenever they're out in public. Going out uncovered or even wearing a headscarf that is too loose can lead to punishment. According to the Iranian government, 3.6 million women were warned, fined, or arrested in 2014 for crimes against public prudency and morality which are most often dress code violations. Can you imagine this? Anyway, one Iranian woman. This goes to show you what one person can do, right? Masi Alinejad, well, Alinejad, anyway, forget that, decided to confront this head-on by posting on Facebook a photo of herself posing in Iran without a scarf and inviting other Muslim women to do the same. Her site called My Stealthy Freedom now has more than 800,000 followers. There she and other Iranian women post photos of themselves removing their headscarves in public, a quiet but brave protest against the Iranian laws that govern not just their clothing, but the way they practice their religion. I was very touched by that story, and I really wanted to share that with you because look how courageous people are, and look what they're doing to stand up to insane norms that really it has to do with somebody else's interest. You know, some guys want to stay in control and they make up all these rules about that what women are supposed to follow. Now, here's another fascinating piece of interrevolutionary striding. Again, looking at ourselves and how we are changing from the inside. This is from MSN News X, Thursday, June 11th. And the headline is, After Racist Rally and Arson, a German Town bravely accepts its first refugees. This is also a very touching story. A small German town that became a byword for xenophobia, which is, you know, where the, the, you know, our country is better than everybody else. When neo-Nazis rallied against a planned asylum center and the building was torched two months ago, accepted its first refugees this week. So, see, get this, there was a neo-Nazi rally against a planned asylum center for many refugees uh, coming up to Germany, and the building was torched. And now, with shy smiles, two families from Afghanistan and one from India attended a media conference that Thursday in the nearby town of Naumburg in the former communist east, where local officials sought to stress that the region welcomes foreigners despite the past uh, the bad press. The families who have requested political asylum are part of a large influx of people fleeing war and poverty for Europe, particularly its largest economy, Germany, which took in 200,000 asylum seekers last year. And the former mayor, Marcus Neerth, who had resigned in early March, claiming he had received no support from local authorities when racist thugs protested outside his family home against the opening of the asylum center. He addressed reporters um, 
Well, somebody, you know, this was a little bit goofed up. Anyway, somebody there stressed that he had taken the unusual step of turning the first refugee group's arrival into a media event in order to send a clear political signal. You know, if this had happened in Nazi Germany, there would have been no Holocaust. You know, people standing up and doing the right thing is amazing, and it's not easy. I can understand, you know, the freak out when all of a sudden your town is being deluged by people from another culture, another religion, but these people are saying no to racism, and I'm really, I think that's an amazing example of the inner revolution. Now, you're going to love this one. June 16th, Washington Post. How a 100-year-old scientist's lonely battle against trans fat led to a ban. Hundred-year-old scientist. Okay, are you getting this? <laughs> You're never too old, James. No one was more I... pleased. Did, did, okay, no one was more pleased by the FDA's decision Tuesday to eliminate artificial trans fats from the U.S. food supply than Fred Kummerow, a 100-year-old University of Illinois professor who has warned about the dangers of the artery-clogging substance for nearly six. Decades. Six decades, guy. That's 60 years. That's longer than some of you out there in this audience have been alive. Not us, but some of you. Science one out, Kumarau said, he, this dude sued the FDA in 2013 for not acting at the, at, the, at the age of 98, two at years ago, a 98-year-old right. sued, sued the FDA to make this change. Yeah, go ahead. He discovered in the 1950s that, uh, that trans fats were killing people from heart disease, and it was documented and all that stuff. But despite his research and warnings, artificial trans fats remained a staple of processed food for decades, that margarine and other junk. Frustrated by the lack of action, Kumarau filed a 3,000-word citizen petition with the FDA in 2009, citing the mounting evidence against trans fats. And he was asking that it be banned from the diet, Four years after filing his petition and hearing nothing, the then 98-year-old sued the FDA and the Department of Health and Human Services in 2013 with the help of a California law firm. Three months later, the FDA finally announced its plan to effectively eliminate trans fats by saying that the substance no longer would be assumed safe for use in human food. I think that's another incredible story. I mean, talk about a guy who stands up Decade after decade after decade to what is done, what is considered okay in the society. He's right. He is put down. And then he has the guts. He's not lying down and giving up. And the last story we have today, and I apologize for having messed up the names in that Germantown story, but you got the idea, right? This last story was sent by one of our listeners, Lynn. It's from NPR, June 18th, the banner day of the Pope's encyclical. And Karen Bates is the reporter. And this is amazing. You know, in Watts, there were six days of writing that left behind scenes of reminiscent of war-torn cities. More than 100 square blocks were decimated by fire and leaders, looters. After the civil unrest, the three largest public housing projects west of the Mississippi were still standing Jordan Downs is one of them. And then she's describing how hundreds of people, mostly young men, were killed 
after that, in the epic gang violence that raged in this area during the 90s, the men at Project Fatherhood want to save the next generation. They believe they can by teaching young men to be good parents. So these are these residents of this area getting together in order to make sure that the same thing doesn't happen to the next generation that happened to them. Here's one of the guys at this meeting, Big Mike Cummings. Young men are hungry to learn how to be fathers because they didn't grow up with a father. So they figure, I didn't grow up with a father. I don't know what, but now you come here, you know what to do. And you come here, meaning to these meetings, this Project Fatherhood. They were aided by UCLA professor uh, Jorge Leap or something like that. They've developed strategies for remaining a constant presence in their children's lives. And isn't that amazing? Besides parenting, the men of Project Fatherhood are focused on jobs because that's the way they can support their children. And they're negotiating with the housing authority to get community residents 30% of the jobs that will be available in Jordan Downs. And not only that, the fathers are helping men in a nearby housing complex start their own chapter of Project Fatherhood. So, you know, it's the Phoenix rising. We are hoping that the Phoenix rises on our planet in general, that from the despair and the destruction that we're seeing of our environment, of, uh, you know, people on the inside and our environment on the outside, that the Phoenix can rise and to talk to us about how we can help do that, we have invited on John Davis, who is a really fun guy, but extremely knowledgeable. He's really interested in religion and the climate. He's also very engaged politically. He's got lots of information for us, and uh, he's a guy who cares. So let's give a great inside-out welcome to John Davis. Hi, John. Hi, Beth. How are you? I am so happy to have you on the show. <sighs> so, how would you like to start with the Pope's encyclical? What do you think was the impact of the Pope making these wildly revolutionary statements? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if everyone knows, but an encyclical normally is a letter written from the Pope to the bishops of the church. Pope Francis broke the model on this. It was not only encyclical and a letter to the bishops of the church, but it was a letter to the people of the world. Yes! Laudato se is uh, the first two words of St. Francis of Assisi's Canticle to the Sun. And that is his uh, start to the encyclical. And it was written, quoting him, to every person on the planet where we all share a common home, the earth. And isn't that fantastic? Because he didn't even only write to Catholics. That's correct. He wrote to the, every human being in the entire world, uh, Catholics specifically, uh, because, you know, there's 1.4 billion of us around the world. And this is going to change a lot of how uh, the Catholic institutions, how Catholic people are be looking at climate change. Now, that's what we want to know. First of all, do you think, because we know that the reaction immediately from Catholic American politicians was, what, the Pope? He doesn't know anything about the climate or politics or economics. I mean, Jeb Bush uh, made a brilliant statement about bought out 
Pope. So what? <laughs> yeah, he said, I don't take my economic uh, guidance from a, a, a bishop or a pope. Right. Yeah, Santorum so, told him to butt out, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, John? What do you think? What, what do you, why do you think this is going to make a difference? Okay, it's going to make a difference in many ways. Uh, let's put politics aside for a while. We'll talk about Jeb Bush and Santorum and the rest of that later on. But yeah. this is going to make a difference because many of the things we have out today are a lot of scientific data. We have a lot of political and economic data and information. What Pope Francis has done is added to that mix the moral, ethical, and spiritual relationship we have with the earth and the people of the earth. Combining that with the economic, political, and scientific data, giving us a framework where we can change our lives and change the world. It's not going to be easy. It sure isn't. But why do you think, if do you think that Catholic politicians, I mean, this has got to give cover to all the Catholics who really want to do something about climate change. You know what I mean? Like if there are bishops or priests or nuns out there who are really concerned about the climate, they now have this encyclical that they can use, which gives them a lot of clout within their own religious communities, I would think. Wouldn't you think so, John? If they desire to use it, uh, yes. we have, uh, we just had a, this is my personal opinion, not the opinion of the church, all right? Right. Uh, they just had a, a, a conference of all the U.S. Catholic bishops a little while ago in St. Louis, uh, covering many of the things going to be coming up in the next year. And this is before the encyclical came out. Yeah. They had a, a, uh, a briefing. On climate change and things in the encyclical. Now, there's 250 bishops in the United States. Only 50 bothered to show up. For this, and oh, for the briefing on the encyclical? Yeah. <gasps> well, on climate change, only isn't, 50. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing, the resistance? I, 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 you know, you, I, you think that the Pope would have some power over that. Well, he does in, in one aspect, because uh, bishops and priests are bound by obedience to the Pope. Now, the Pope can say, you're going to do this whether you like it or not, or you can fire them, uh, like uh, he accepted the uh, resignations uh, uh, the other week of the Archbishop and the uh, second-in-command of the uh, St. Paul, Minnesota uh, Archdiocese over there because of the child abuse problems. Mm -hmm. But reality is, it, it's quite impossible to do that in this day and age. We don't have an Inquisition anymore. <laughs> and and, and you, you've, got, you've got to remember that a lot of the Catholic diocese and people here in the United States come from very, very conservative backgrounds, live in very conservative areas. Yeah. And because of that, you have not only a mixture of conservative Catholicism, but conservative economics, conservative social issues, mm -hmm. and conservative politics. Yeah. And when that all blends together, you have a very politically, social, economic, and spiritually active diocese, uh, one way or the other, whether you're conservative or moderate or liberal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you know, I think there are some fascinating signs and uh, we're going to have to take a commercial break in a minute, but then you will come back and the time will all be yours. Um, 
there, we're, next week we're having on a, a woman named Sister Simone Campbell, and uh, she she is the executive director of Network, which is uh, an organization of nuns that are just totally committed to social justice issues, immigration. As I'm sure they're you know, and climate change, of course, is right in there. And they were being investigated by the Vatican, and. Um, it, it looked like curtains for them. I mean, uh, this you know, was the previous pope, yes. The previous pope. And they had some, you know, the bishops and the archbishops were investigating them. They were, they were being assigned to reorganize, not just network, all, all the women in uh, the, the women religious, they call them. Uh, their general organization and leadership was being investigated. And they were going to be going in there to reorganize the women. Can you believe that? Well, they fought back. But then what happened is that Pope Francis came in, and it took him a while, but slowly but surely, he called off the investigation, and in the end, he thanked the women. But what he was thanking them for was for their social activism of caring for people and putting that before issues, conservative sexual issues, you know, abortion and so on. And this Pope has brought in this whole new energy. But see, what I'm thinking... John, is that there are other people in the church who've been hiding out in the, you know, in the wings. Uh, these women were willing to take it on the chin. But uh, there are a lot of people out there who are afraid to step forward, but who would agree with a different kind of social agenda, which is what the Pope is talking about. It's like, we got to get away from these other things and start worrying about our earth and our people. And there was a change. It took him a while, but it had an impact, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. So, we had better go to commercial break now, but you stick around because we have a lot more to hear from, from John about the Pope and about Paris and Iowa. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.bethgreen.org. At Beth's website, you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community. The Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The inner revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both at Beth's website. Again, that's BethGreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5792. 
1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Now, back to Inside Out. Hey, welcome back to Inside Out. And we have John Davis from the Climate Reality Project, who's speaking as a Catholic, as someone who really knows a lot about the climate, uh, who's an activist. And uh, John would like to share some points about the encyclical with us right now. Okay, great. Thank you, uh, Beth. Uh, There's nine very specific and important things that were brought out in the encyclical. And if you don't mind, I'll just take a few moments to go through those. It won't take long. Okay, great. Great. The The first one is Pope Francis writes that we are in the middle of an ecological crisis and summons each person in the world to a moral and spiritual challenge. A uh, inner conversion, so to speak, to renew our relationship with God, each other, and the world. Then he goes on to state that we have an obligation to care for God's creation. God created the world and entrusted to us as a gift. Now we have a responsibility to protect it and all people who are part of creation. And going from that, we are all connected. We're connected to the rest of the human family, to the created world, to all that has come after us in future generations. We are responsible. Yes. And then there's the poor. People in poverty contribute very little to climate change, yet they're disproportionately impacted by it. It's the result of excessive use of natural resources by wealthy nations. Those who are poor experience pollution, lack of access to clean water, hunger, and more. Yet, the American people throw away 30% of our food. The Pope calls for solidarity. He states that we are one human family and they have a shared responsibility for each other in creations. Wealthy nations have a responsibility to reduce consumption and to help poor nations. And we also have an issue with technological economic development. Instead of self-serving major corporations and stockholders, it must serve human beings and enhance human dignity instead of creating an economy of exclusion. And we need to support life and protect creation. Conserving nature is incompatible with failure to protect vulnerable human beings, such as unborn children, people with disabilities, victims of human trafficking, etc., And then he calls for us to act. It is a time for act. Pope Francis calls for us to change our lifestyle and our consumption. He states we can make important changes as individuals, families, communities, and as civil and political leaders. And finally, he ends his encyclical with hope and joy. He states, in quote, injustice is not invincible. And that we have to act knowing that we seek to live out God's vision of a new relationship with God, ourselves, one another, and creation. This is a great building block uh, for the world to start working on. And it goes beyond all politics or borders and all economic and political structures. This is so beautiful, John. I mean, the Pope is an inner revolutionary. That's, that's how we see it. Because to us, the inner revolution is about oneness, accountability, 
and mutual support. And that one is he's talking about oneness. He's not talking about Catholics. He's not talking about Christians. He's talking about all of us and all of creation as being one. He's talking about becoming accountable for the impact that we're having. And he's talking about mutual support, which in our terms means we support the whole and the whole supports us. It's it's not just about my life, it's about the life of the whole species of the whole planet of all society that we need to support it and it will support us and we need to just get off our darn ego trips about me, me, me. And I love this. I just, I love this guy. Uh, John, how did he get to be Pope? Do you have any idea? Well, I'll put on my religious side, I think it was the act of, and the hand of God working on on. I agree. I think so too. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I think he slipped in. God threw us a curveball, and a good one. You know, God has got to do something. <laughs> I, I imagine the Curia is a little shaken up by his, his innovations. I mean, he doesn't even live in the Papal Palace. He lives in a hotel, uh, a two-room suite. He eats his breakfast, lunch, and dinner down in the cafeteria with ordinary people. Uh, he, he goes out and, and touches people, literally, blesses them, and talks to them, and... Uh, basically says we've got to get back to the original aspects of the church which is to serve the people and serve the poor well gosh wasn't jesus a major revolutionary i mean didn't he say enough with all this nonsense let's get down to the important things like we are one another and we have to treat each other like one another and let's get over this hierarchical stuff and uh, i mean the the guy was a revolutionary and there is a real uh, history of revolutionary priests in uh, South America. The Pope is from Argentina. There, yes. So, so there, is an, there is in Catholicism an interesting uh, dichotomy. It's not just conservative. It's also very radical and very re- revolutionary. Well, we'll have more about that next week. So now I'd like to, you to talk to us about Gay Paris. What is going on in Paris in December? In December. Well, it's called COP21, and that's a, uh, the French initials for it, for the uh, uh, Conference on Environment in Paris, and it's 21 because it's the 21st conference. And the actual title of it is the 21st session of the Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, for short, Paris 2015, because I wouldn't want to say that all the time. No, no, I run out of breath. Right. (laughs) But anyway, it's it's from November 30th to December 11th. And it's going to be a very crucial conference uh, because it needs to achieve a new international agreement on climate that's acceptable to all countries. And it has an aim of keeping global warming below 2% centigrade. And France will play an international role as a very large one. And uh, it's trying to facilitate and converge uh, a search for consensus uh, by the United Nations and the world. And it gets extremely complicated from then on. They're going to have meetings, I I believe, uh, in September uh, before this. Uh, People have already come through, uh, different nations. The European Union has completely accepted the 2%. The biggest problem 
is there's three nations that we have a real problem with. Uh, China, mm -hmm. India, and the United States. No, not us. I remember the Kyoto Accords very intimately. And we never signed on to the Kyoto Accords. Right. Well, could you tell people about the Kyoto Accords? Because not everybody knows about that. Okay, the Kyoto Accord basically said the world, we are polluting it too much. We're putting too much stuff in the air, too much stuff in the soil, too much stuff in the water. And we have to change, and we have to change what was called the carbon footprint. And that sounded all great and good. And then about three days, I'd imagine, after that, it all fell apart. And why did it fall apart? Because the poor nations and the developing nations like India, uh, they, weren't, uh, they weren't asked to uh, change their carbon footprint. The only ones were the developed nations. Mm. So the United States said, well, if all nations aren't going to do it, we're not going to do it. The United Nations never signed, uh, the U.S. never signed it. And it basically went absolutely nowhere. Yeah. They've had a number after that, the Copenhagen uh, meeting. Uh, it was a flop. So it, it, it's getting people to agree on something that you can build a consensus on. And 2% is a pretty good one. We actually should be like 5%. But 2 Celsius. Well, could you I've, explain what do you mean by 2% and 5%? Okay. Because People don't may not be following you. Okay. Uh, there's a global world temperature. It's in Celsius. And it's continually going up. And people call it global warming. It's going up because the greenhouse gases that we're, we're spewing into the atmosphere is warming the surface of the world up. And people say, oh, I'll just give an example. Let's say the surface temperature of the world is 10 degrees Celsius. And it went up two degrees. They say, big deal. That's only two degrees. I mean, where I live, it's it's like, you know, 25 degrees Celsius. It's wonderful. So, so what's the problem? The problem is the earth reacts to temperature changes a lot different than human beings do. And it can cause catastrophic problems and failures. Which uh, we're already as, seeing. Uh, we're seeing it right now. Yeah. And uh, so I'm already reading uh, papers and uh, documents. I, I spent three hours a day doing this. And the 2% Celsius was what they want to do. But all of a sudden, the last three weeks, China and India are saying, no, we can't deal with 2%. How about a 1.5%? You mean they want to have even fewer emissions and less global warming? Oh, no, they want more. Oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, because if we try to reduce it by two degrees Celsius, oh, it's it the, means they're the going yeah, to have oh. to cut back dramatically on greenhouse gases. Yeah. And uh, they're, again, the same thing Kyoto. They're looking at their internal economic growth. So they say, we can't do 2%. Let's do 1.5%. Oh, so now everybody's arguing between 1.5% and 2%. And most people say, what in the world's the difference? Well, there is a significant difference if yeah. you happen to be the world. Right. Not, not to speak of the fact that the poor Chinese can't breathe. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 I, I was in an international climate conference in New Delhi, India, 
uh, this past February. And uh, imagine a place, oh, I'm here in Iowa. Pottawatomie County is kind of a big county, uh, but only has about 30,000, 40,000 people. Imagine putting 20 million people in that same area. Ugh. Okay, Ugh. that's New Delhi. New <laughs> Delhi is the most polluted city in the world. It really? is so yeah, it's so polluted that when I was there, uh, the U.S. Embassy keeps a 24-7 website open showing the, the uh, uh, pollution in the air and the air indexes on a 24-7 basis. And if it gets like 205, it's really bad. And uh, when I was there, it was like 218, 225. And uh, so every person that works for the U.S. Embassy, they put these huge air filtration systems in their house so they can breathe and not get uh, uh, sick. Right. And think so about we're looking the poor at things people. like that. Yeah, yeah we're looking at this all over the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just it, saw a thing today on, on Santiago, Chile. They're having a huge problem right now, and they're having the Copa uh, America uh, soccer tournament going around there, and people can't breathe. Wow. Wow. They're not even that industrialized. No, they're not. How did they get so polluted? Uh, they're in a valley, and there's oh, tremendous amounts of, uh, of uh, energy plants around. They all use coal. Oh, well, there it is. And they're just blowing it up. And uh, they're also in the middle of a severe drought. They're not getting oh. any rain. So it just topples inside of itself. I mean, I think that uh, I think it's time for us to get over the nonsense about there isn't global warming that we haven't created it. We, if anybody wants more details about the science, we did a two-hour climate uh, panel in November. You can find it in the index of our shows on Inside Out: The Inner Revolution, and uh, we had Professor Scott Deming on, and he explained very clearly in such simple words and concepts that I was able to follow it <laughs> uh, about global warming and carbon emissions. And then we also had more stuff about methane and so, but it was just, it was incredible. So uh, I don't want to have to reinvent the wheel. We've already uh, talked a lot about that, but you know, I think that the, one of the beauties of the Pope statement is let's stop arguing about this and let's get down to work. But it's very worrisome that people are already playing around at the edges with this two, one and a half. Oh, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a heck of a lot of difference. Life, death, health. We're seeing it. We're seeing tremendous changes in our climate. And we're not the ones who are being impacted the most, which is uh, the poor people. My only disappointment, I have to say, about the Pope's encyclical is that he did not take on the issue of reproduction. You know, we have just too darn many people. You know, we use up too much of the Earth's resources and we don't leave enough for everybody else, all the other species on the planet, but that's my opinion. Well, you got to remember, the Pope uh, also came out with a comment which really upset the Cardinals, uh, uh, I think it was last month, that uh, said uh, Catholic families shouldn't be rabbits. Oh, I read that! 
I read that. I loved that. You know, the idea isn't to have so many children. Yeah, but he didn't come. See, but I think he knows that he's just not saying it. He has to take it a step at a time like he did with the nuns. It took him two years, you know, but he didn't take this on because. Well, he did mention that in in, uh, one section of that that I mentioned, but uh, he didn't go into it in great detail. Yeah. Yeah. And we really need to look at that. So do you, what do you see as the political will leading up to Paris? Do you think that the one and a halfs are, are gaining ascendancy or the two percenters are gaining ascendancy? Well, that is a really exceptionally good question because it's the politics of climate change that is going to destroy everything. Mm-hmm. And, yes. uh, I will just use the United States as an example. We have oil companies and fossil fuel companies that spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars to ensure that uh, they keep all the bennies that they've got. Uh, they get over over $100 billion in subsidies uh, from the United States government every year. Isn't that uh, amazing? <laughs> yeah. They have... Uh, they have uh, uh, quote these uh, uh, institutes, which they give them nice, wonderful-sounding names, which has nothing to do with what they're going to do. You have groups like the Heartland Institute in Chicago, yeah. which is, is uh, funded by the Koch brothers and the fossil fuel industry. And they put the most garbage out there you ever saw. They list these large boards of scientists. Not a single climate scientist is on it. Yeah. They list reports. And then when you go through and review the reports, you find out that everybody that's on there has worked for, for the, the oil industries, and they're not climate scientists. Right, right. So these people are controlling uh, what we hear and what we see. And yes. on the other side, it's called election time. Oh, John, why don't you hold that thought? Because I'd like to take us into commercial break, because when we come back, I want you to talk about election time. Because this is really about, oh, my God, what can we do? And I think this would be a perfect place to pause. By the way, I have not called for callers. We would get them if I asked for them. The truth is we're having too much fun. And there's so much information that John is giving us. So right now, uh, I'm still not calling for callers. And I want you to come back uh, from our commercial break and talk to this very point about the politics and what we can do about it. So stick around. We'll be right back. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.bethgreen.org. At Beth's website, you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community. The Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The inner revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both 
at Beth's website. Again, that's BethGreen.org. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You're tuned in to Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Now, back to Inside Out. Hi there. This is Beth Green and John Davis and James Maynard, who we pushed out of the conversation altogether because I'm too busy talking to John and having a great time. And John Davis is uh, an, an activist around the climate. He's also a Catholic. He's been talking about the Pope's encyclical. He's telling us about the uh, the uh, conference, the UN conference that's coming up in mostly December. And now we want to start talking about the politics of what we can do. And I know John has a lot to say about this because he is an activist. And it's, you know, it's sometimes it's really daunting, but we shouldn't be daunted because there's a lot of people out there today who are waking up and who get it uh, and want to do something. So John, uh, tell us about what you're seeing is happening in the political arena. Well, uh, that'll be fine. Let me preface uh, and uh, so people can understand where I'm coming from in some of these. I, I've spent over oh, two decades uh, working in the, the federal service. And uh, my, my last assignment, I uh, worked in the White House for Vice President Al Gore. And uh, so I'm also a political scientist. So I know how these things work in the political environment. And doesn't mean I happen to like it. I just understand how it how it works. <laughs> and uh, when I was in India, I gave a talk to to some small groups of uh, uh, a little theory that I've come up with. It's called the evil of three. And as long as the evil of three can exist, there would be no action on anything, uh, whether you want it to be uh, environment or education or anything at all. And, and it has three parts. One is greed. And I'm not talking about the individual personal greed. I'm talking about corporate greed. I'm talking about multi, multi-billion, trillion-dollar greed, where the bottom line is more important than the lives of the people. And I blame a lot of multinationals. I blame the fossil fuel industry a lot on this. And they're motivated by one thing, dollars. The second group is political influence. That's our politicians, our elected officials. They are influenced more by the people in the greed category than they are by the electorate. Uh, To give you an example, I was in Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and I I, I was a union steward for for the American Federation of Government Employees, and I had a, a lapel pin that looked just like Union Pacific. And I ran into a congressman from uh, Omaha, and he saw me, ran up, started shaking my hand, and says, well, how come you didn't come visit me? People from Union Pacific, the board, are always welcome in my office. And and I told him, I said, I'm sorry, I don't work for them. I'm I'm with American (laughs) Federation government employees. And it goes to show, uh, if you've got influence and money, 
these people talk to you right away. Yeah. An individual, common constituent, wants to go and talk to their senator or congressman, you're going to wait a while. Mm -hmm. Money talks in politics. So as long as you have PACs, special interest groups, large groups donating a lot of money, and I do it left or right, both is wrong. Mm -hmm. As long as money goes through and controls our electoral process, it's not the American people that control the government. It's the 1% of the 1% of the very wealthy that controls our nation. So then we have our third, complacency. That's us. That's us. That's the American people. A lot of people will say, yeah, 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 we got to change this. We got to change this. And they'll keep saying that until somebody says, okay, now what are you going to do about it? And the room becomes very quiet. They know what's going on, but they happen to like their three cars, their, their uh, five televisions, uh, their central system of air conditioning and heating, their uh, computerized lawn watering systems, their big swimming pool in the backyard. They like their creature companies, and they won't give them up. So what so are we going to do, John? Because we we're going to run out of time. I want you to get to the what we can do. What we can do is this. We need to educate where we can, and the best part for doing that is with the American people. We need to support all the environmental groups, the climate lobbies, Climate Reality Project, the, the uh, Catholic uh, Climate Covenant, the Franciscan Action Network. We need to support these people, and they need to get out, and we need to get out to the electorate and talk to them. Let them know what the issues are and get them off their butts. Because yes. as, long, as long as we have like 42% vote, who's going to win? The greed group. Well, you know, that is so true because we're seeing such a dramatic change in the positions of politicians around gay and lesbian rights. And that's because there has been such a sea change in the population and there's so much more activism that the politicians have to change. They do. They follow. You know what I mean? They, they, they can only go so far against the will of the people and still get reelected. That's right. And I'm an old guy back from the Vietnam days. I remember the marches in Washington, D.C. in 71. And it took stuff like that. It took millions of people in the streets saying, we're not going to take it anymore. But finally, they said, okay, uh, no more Vietnam War. It now, took this on lesbians. Yeah. It yeah. took it on civil rights. It's yes. going to take it on, on climate reality. Of yes. What the reality of the world is. The reality is, if we don't change by 2050, it's almost going to be too late. And I want the world's going to look like at 2099. I, I don't even want to know what it's going to look like in 2016, actually, because <laughs> I hate what's already happened to the weather. You know, I wanted to ask you something about that, John. Uh, not to get too personal, but you were you in Vietnam? Uh, yes, I was. Okay. So now you as a veteran of the Vietnam War, how did you feel? Because I, uh, I was one of those people who was marching, right? Since I was part of the anti-war movement since like 1963, but seriously from 1965. At that time, did you, how did you feel about that movement? Well, people can change, you know. 
Oh, uh, and that's, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I come from four generations of career military people. So my mindset from the very beginning was quite different than the average American. When I went over and actually was there with what I was doing, and it was the intelligence committee, still classified. But uh, when I saw what was happening to the people over there and their attitudes, I started thinking, you know, what the heck's going on here? Mm. And then when I, I flew back uh, from uh, Saigon to Washington, D.C., I, I stopped over in uh, San Francisco, and uh, I actually was spit on. A lot of us were spit on. And people were screaming yeah. and yelling at us. I, I know. That's, that was very unfortunate. But what's interesting is uh, when I got back to Washington, D.C., uh, in 71, we had the uh, May Day. Remember the May Day demonstrations in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C.? Yeah. I was there in the mm. demonstrations. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so you had gone a whole 180-degree flip. You know why I'm asking you this, John? Part, f- f- first of all, because you know, I, I, I was interested to find out how that was for you. And I regret, I never spat on anybody, but I was not very compassionate to the soldiers. And I I regret that. That was my own immaturity of not understanding what makes people just go along, you know. But I I was in so much anguish about the war. But the reason that I'm bringing this up now is, see, you are an example of someone whose heart was changed and who then became part of the solution, (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Your story is very important because we should not give up. It it looked like in the days of the Vietnam War that that war would never end. And frankly, it feels like it did never end. But um, I think that that just tells you, you never know who you're talking to. You never know who you're reaching. You never know what moment that person's, a light bulb is going to go on in their head and they're going to look around you know what the pope talked about what we are leaving this planet is filth filth is the word that he used it is so true it's so true and you know guilty as charged it's hard for all of us to find a way to solve this climate crisis ourselves which of course we can't but when we keep talking and when we keep organizing and People are welcome to go to the Climate Reality Project, and that is one of the groups, and there's 350.org. There's a lot of groups now, and uh, John mentioned a few. You never know the next door that you knock on, the next person you talk to. I talk about climate change to everybody I meet all the time. Uh, you know, whenever I have an opportunity, it, you don't even have to be an official lobbyist. Uh, and said something will happen because people are not completely blind. Something inside people knows that that this that our, our our environment is deteriorating, that we're leaving a mess for our children, and uh, that we're doing something which is just the opposite of what the Pope is calling for. You know, we've treated this planet as though we had dominion over it, not as though we were given it. As caretakers. That's true. I have a great quote for you to end myself with. Thank from, you. From the Pope. And, and here it is. It's from, from the introduction to, to the encyclical. For human beings to destroy the biological diversity of God's creation. For human beings to degrade the integrity of the earth 
they cause and changes in its climate. By stripping the earth of its natural forests or destroying its wetlands. For human beings to contaminate the earth's waters, its lands, its air, and its life. These are sins. Mm -hmm. For to commit a crime against the natural world is a sin against ourselves and a sin against God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, it's, it's encouraging. Let's never give up. If we have enough political will, it will change. So, uh, James, would you clue us in as to what we're doing next week? Yes, uh, this is a natural follow-on next week. Uh, the theme is, is the Catholic Church going through an inner revolution? Meet Sister Simone Campbell and see for yourself. In 2012, as Beth mentioned, the Vatican cracked down on the American nuns for challenging the hierarchy of the church and focusing on social services and equality rather than abortion and other sexual issues. Well, our guest sister, Simone Campbell, she was the director of Network uh, and the Catholic sisters who are awakening social conscience and lobbying for change. And uh, this, as, as was mentioned, uh, she was part of the nuns on the bus, which attracted attention as they went from city to city to city addressing social needs that American nuns could help with and publicize and, and bring resources to help. After Pope Francis was elected in 2013, uh, he called on Christians to become revolutionaries, much like Sister Simone has been. And uh, so we are very happy to have her coming on the show. Uh, she's a leader uh, of an inner revolution within the church and within society. And also, by the way, the, she and two other nuns are now the subject of a new documentary movie called Radical Grace, which is now being screened at various places around the United States and uh, soon will be uh, available in different locales for viewing. So uh, tune in next week and learn more. And now a final word from Beth. And by the way, of Rebecca Parrish, who was the director who made that film, is going to be the guest on Inside Out at the end of July. So I'm so thrilled. I just want to say that I love you, John. I think you're just a, a terrific person. I can feel your passion, your intelligence, your dedication to this. We need more people like you, and we have them. There's a lot of good people on the planet. And when we start reaching out to one another, we discover them. When we stay in our own little hole, it can get very dark. <laughs> but when we go out, we discover that there's marvelous people everywhere who are doing something there's a lot that we can do about the planet. I'm going to give another plug to our climate panel in November because we had a lot of discussion about what each one of us can do. And the most important thing is that we don't give up, that we keep trying, that we keep having faith that something can change if we come together. So thank you so much, John. You're quite yeah. welcome, Beth. Thank you, John. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Think outside the box and have a great week.